0: Right. I'm ready whenever you are. I'm ready. Okay. Who's starting? You are. I am? hmm Okay. In the year of our Lord Cthulhu, 1890, a man was birthed from the muck and mire of cosmic distress and the residual sludge of the great old beings who once walked the earth, but still control from other darker dimensions of time and space.
1: The man would grow and prosper, becoming the permanent and most prophetic scribes of the true horrors that await humanity, not only in their dreams, but beneath the curtain of our own very reality.
0: This man would tell of madness and evil, of the sheer blackness of the world's oceans as well as the hearts of men.
1: His name was Howard Phillips Lovecraft, a controversial figure but arguably one of the most important voices in the evolution of the horror genre.
0: But was he a simple creator of fiction, of stories and novels that bleed into our consciousness? Or was he something more?
1: Did he peek behind the facade of what we hold true? Was he pulling at the threads of the very fabric of our world, only to reveal what truly awaits us?
0: Fictionalist or prophet? Madman or genius? We will dig into not only the life of H.P. Lovecraft, but some of the more pressing aspects of the mythos he either created or simply brought to the attention of humanity today on dr scarelove this is dr scarelove Scare.
1: on that open sign the doctors are in the studio hello rabbit holers and seekers of the sinister
0: yep hey everybody um we got a new logo uh new web- website layout new everything a total rebrand just a few months after we had first launched so we would
1: really like to know what you think and when we say that we actually mean it we would actually like you to communicate with us
0: keep in mind that this is an internal operation we're making these things without any professional training or the proper software like photoshop so, you know, be kind, but also be uh, be truthful. Tell us yeah. what you really think.
1: Yeah. Uh, we're also in the beginning stages of creating merchandise. Like um, what? Like tote bags and uh-huh. buttons and t-shirts yep. and, you know, creating designs. So if you are a fan and you would like to support us, um, keep an eye out.
0: Yeah. Keep an eye out for that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing a hoodie. Something looking real scary. Something... Uh, some, something scare lovey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm starting to work uh, on creating an app. Uh, sort of a forum. Um, a place where eventually we'd like to have these episodes available on the app. Also, um, with a forum. Um, you know, a place for all you Seekers of the Sinister to kind of get together, talk, maybe make friends. All that kind of stuff. Because really, w- w- what are we in this for? You know, we're, we're in this because we're nerds. Mm-hmm. And we're hoping that there's some other nerds out there that like what we're doing. That'll also be nerdy. Um, and maybe we'd like to get some of you guys on the show, too, um, mm-hmm. talking about some of your favorite scary stuff. So, um, yeah, it'll be a chance to chat with them one another, uh, to bolster, to build the Scare Love Society, um, you know, create the rules and guidelines to choose what our robes what that will look like the colors mm-hmm. you know what rituals we will appropriate from other cults and religions
1: who we should sacrifice yeah
0: who we should sacrifice that's definitely i mean i think that you know we're willing to offer up one of our dogs we've got two we could offer up one of them Maybe. for the services um uh you know for the purposes of this show and um our future and longevity so
1: <laughs> uh so keep spreading the virus that is the scare love society Like, subscribe on your favorite platforms, share with your friends and family, veterinarians, gynecologists, mechanics, seekers of of the sinister are everywhere.
0: They are, they're everywhere. And again, we want to know what you find disturbing. What makes you leave the lights on at night? Write in, tweet us, let us know what type of scare you want us to love on.
1: We want all of you to come with us on each of these journeys, scare lovers, and today's Exploratory mission begins on Rhode Island, or within the deepest depths of our oceans, or realm far beyond our minds' wildest
0: imagination. Yep, that's right. File number 15, Dr. Scarelove meets the prophet Lovecraft. I'm Drew.
1: And I'm Krista, and you're listening to Dr. Scarelove.
0: Today's episode needs to begin with a timeline of sorts. We're going to dive into the life and supposed death of Howard Phillips Lovecraft, then discuss how the influence of his writings extend into modern day.
1: Yep, Drew, uh, I am going to take you back in time to the little town of Providence, Rhode Island.
0: Can't wait. Back
1: in time. In April of 1893, Winfield Scott Lovecraft had a sort of fit in a Chicago hotel, a psychotic episode it seems. The details of this episode aren't really known, but later medical records would show that Winfield had been acting out of character and speaking about strange things at an increasing rate before the hotel incident. So he was checked into Butler Hospital, the first solely mental hospital facility in the state, which opened in 1844. So as we can probably imagine, conditions might not have been that great.
0: Commissions not, not, might not have been great, no. no. Um, I think we all can agree, and maybe we'll do a future episode on the history of psychiatric help mm-hmm. and psychology uh, in American history. Mm-hmm. Not always wonderful. Um no uh danvers uh, for you out there listen to you know something about danvers or watch a documentary about danvers um r- we live here in georgia right down the street there's the uh central state hospital central state Hol- uh central state hospital which was also referred to as a lunatic asylum yeah um which you know um i guess back in the day lunatic wasn't the kind of thing that we're saying now i call a lot of people lunatics right now uh they probably aren't the same sort of lunatics they were talking about mm-hmm. um but yeah, so uh, let's just say that this dude was checked into one of those places. I couldn't find if it was voluntary or not. I
1: think at that time, it didn't really have to be voluntary. If you had a lunatic in your in your family, you could
0: just yeah. go drop him off. Or but, if you uh, were just being a crazy lady, Yep. just uh, take him over there, some mm-hmm. bed rest.
1: Yep. So Winfield would remain a resident of the hospital until his death five years later in 1898. His death would be listed as General Pariasis. Uh, which is known by the wonderful monikers paralytic dementia or general paralysis of the insane
0: yes holy shit <laughs> yeah um i think the latin name was uh paralytica dementia or something like that mm-hmm. which is also really cool
1: yeah so this neuropsychiatric condition is attributed to chronic me- i'm gonna try and say this really long word meningeocephalitis that leads to cerebral atrophy atrophy um, in late stage
0: syphilis, Menin, meningoencephalitis, meningoencephalitis,
1: meningoencephalitis.
0: Like yep, yep. So yeah, late stage syphilis. Um, and I, I went down the rabbit hole uh, very early on this, um, talking about uh, syphilis. Um, if gone untreated, uh, generally appearing twenty to thirty years after initially contracting syphilis, uh, MedlinePlus dot gov says that quote, symptoms are usually those of dementia and may include memory problems, language problems, such as saying or writing words incorrectly, decreased mental function, such as problems thinking with judgment, uh, mood changes, personality changes, such as delusions, hallucinations, irritability, inappropriate behavior, which, you know, could have been something as simple as he reads too much or she reads too much. Um, Complications of this condition include inability to communicate or interact with others, Injury due to seizures or falls. Inability to care for yourself. So, uh, a real party of a person. Yeah, you become a real party. Like, yeah. you got the virus probably from party, mm-hmm. and then you just continue to party in your head. So, what kind
1: of delusions are you talking about here?
0: Uh, yeah, you know, I, I looked into that. Uh, paralysis, seizures, and the ability inability to care for oneself mm-hmm. does sound pretty horrible, uh, but the delusions. What kind of delusions are these people suffering? What was reported? Um, quote, Delusions, common as the illness progresses, tend to be poorly systematized systematized Mm -hmm. and absurd. They can be grandiose, melancholic, or paranoid. These delusions include ideas of great wealth, immortality, thousands of lovers, (laughs) unfathomable power, apocalypsis, which also sounds like a disease in and of itself. Yeah. do you have syphilis? No,
1: I have apocalypse. I have, I have it's way worse. It's
0: just basically my, my <laughs> penis is the Antichrist and it's bringing the end of the world. Um, nihilism, self-guilt, self-blame, or bizarre hypochondriacal complaints. Basically um, being really uh, a hypochondriac.
1: So, you know, if this was you, that that's what you would suffer from. It is me. Uh, those of you who don't know, uh, Dr. Drew here does not like germs at all. Real, really
0: not not a big fan of germs. I'm not. And you know what? If we can uh, say anything about the coronavirus, um, I'm pretty on, on point here with mm-hmm. not liking germs. Yeah. I don't do the face mask. Um, I'll just pull my beard over my mouth. And that, that, that works. Yeah. So. Um, so, uh,
1: famous people who have argued, uh, who have uh, apparently died from complications of untreated syphilis, which this was fascinating to me. Al-capone. But hold on.
0: We don't know if they, I mean, Al Capone for sure, but some of these... They, they, you know, medical records, rumor. you know, aren't the greatest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a lot of these things maybe um, wasn't quantified in mm-hmm. a medical journal till later, um, but they think that they yeah. think that. So tell, tell, tell me some of these people.
1: So Al Capone, uh, famous Chicago gangster, Scarface nickname.
0: Yep. You have family ties, right? To Capone.
1: Well, okay. So my family's not Italian, but I'm from Milwaukee um, and there are some family stories that, some of my family members drove a quote-unquote milk truck uh, for Al Capone
0: in Chicago. Uh, milk, how- as in, you know. Alcohol. Alcohol. <laughs> um, Al capone Hall. Oh yeah. Nope, that uh, I, I, I was, I was pushing it. <laughs> uh,
1: another person, Leo Tolstoy, author of War and Peace, Anna Karenina, uh, to name two unheard of books.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, just some books that, you know, little-known books like War and Peace, Anna yeah, Karenina, you know, you things know. like that.
1: Known, known he, might have
0: had, he might have had uh, syphilis. Uh, might okay. have died from that.
1: Idi uh, Amin? Idi Amin. Idi Amin. Uh, butcher of Uganda, president from 71 to 79, considered one of the worst rulers in world history. Human rights groups estimate between 100,000 and 500,000 people were killed under his regime. So pretty shitty dude.
0: Yeah, and I also find it funny whenever experts... Disagree on numbers mm-hmm. You know to go from either 100,000 Or 500,000 that's a pretty wide Range
1: it's it's one of those Statistics of that like you can't Really fathom you can't I don't I mean it might as well be 100 or 500 Thousand mm-hmm. because that is so many people I can't mm-hmm.
0: Yeah it's more shocking to hear about a serial Killer who kills like nine people mm-hmm. A lot of times because you'll hear Their uh, Their names
1: mm-hmm.
0: Um it, in succession, like okay, these are the victims' names. When you have a statistic like that, it's like you, you can't name all those people, so no. but also the disparity between them mm-hmm. it's crazy. Like, well, was it a hundred thousand or was it 500,000? Guess we won't know. Either way, horrible dude died of syphilis. Probably, wish, I not, not probably. I wish he would have died a much worse fashion. Um, maybe you know, maybe had his penis fall off, yeah. just fall off and then die from blood loss.
1: Yeah, seems fitting.
0: That's right. That, 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 I mean, to kill 500,000 people, I don't think that, think, is there an appropriate way to, like, like, if you had the chance, how would you kill Hitler?
1: Oh, man. Um, slow and torturous. Yeah, but isn't Does it? Does that make uh, me a psycho? Does it make me as bad as him, though? No, I don't think so. Hmm.
0: But, I mean, or just a, a just, just a single shot to the head, just to, just to put him down. Yep. But it, then again, it's like, man, you cause so much pain and suffering. Yeah. Yeah i don't know sorry
1: horrible uh another person uh philosopher friedrich nietzsche has been theorized to have died from syphilitic complications charles baudelaire author of the incredible *Les fleur du mal uh franz schubert the composer edward manet painter shakespeare oscar wilde adolf hitler even the terrible um beethoven may have written his best work while suffering from syphilitic delusions yeah
0: so some of those people you know we don't widely consider them to have died from syphilis but they they, you know people theorize that they had syphilis that may have contributed to it Mm -hmm. like shakespeare like they think Mm -hmm. some people think that shakespeare stopped writing because of his syphilis and you know things like that yeah um also fun fact did you know that uh some people theorize that christopher columbus uh that wonderful wonderful man um may have brought syphilis to europe
1: fucking makes sense
0: yeah, um you know, like his exploits aren't awesome. No. Um but he also, you know, like he's a, he's he's one of those divisive figures. Yeah. You know, like I think in a way he symbolizes you know, discovery, but at what cost, right? A lot of cost. A lot yeah. a lot of uh, a lot of dead indigenous people. Yes. Um All right, anyway. Um so that first rabbit hole didn't take too long.
1: Mhm. So let's get back to it uh winfrey scott lovecraft winfield Winfield. i i was thinking winifred Winifred, but then i was like that's a that's a female yeah yeah winfield winfield scott lovecraft would leave behind widow Susan sarah susan sarah lovecraft and eight-year-old howard phillips lovecraft so up until his own death lovecraft would maintain his biological father had died while in a paralytic state not from complications of syphilis but from overwork and exhaustion fair Okay. okay So though no one is sure whether or not his family kept true, uh, the true cause under wraps to spare him, or if he did know, uh, he simply chose to ignore it, maybe out of embarrassment.
0: And this is sort of a, you know, a long-winded um, kind of idea of his father and what 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 happened to his father. But I think it's important because a lot of uh, uh, Lovecraft's fiction would involve madness and being mm-hmm. driven to the point of madness. And, you know, he is one of those... Uh, Sensationalist writers that uh, leave the actual scares off screen or yeah. around the corner, so a lot of times it could be interpreted that the madness is of one's own making. So some of these delusions could be in someone's you know, someone's head, but
1: yeah, which is a, a really um, great concept, and sometimes uh-huh. I think it makes it even scarier.
0: Yeah, um, I I didn't add it in this today, but um, you know, fans, and we'll talk a little bit about this later. The Necronomicon is a is a book that he you know, wrote, um, you know, sort of like a Tibetan book of the dead, um, but a lot darker, um, that is a fiction, fictionalized book within his works where, you know, for many years, uh, fans wanted to know what was that book, like write that book for us. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, was quoted as saying something along the lines of to write that would not do it justice Mm -hmm. because The idea of it being something of unparalleled horror uh, and causing madness, if I were to actually write that, it would not compare. No. And it's scarier. It's almost kind of like The King in Yellow. Yeah. Which I need to read. Um, Which the play itself is never really featured. It's just if people read the play Mm -hmm. or see it performed, they go nuts. Yeah. So anyway, (laughs) so the now uh, fatherless Lovecraft Mm
1: -hmm. was... Daddy, Daddy Lovecraft.
0: Daddy Lovecraft. um, You know, Daddy Lovecraft is dead. Mm
1: -hmm. So he's,
0: you know, forced to uh, be raised by his mom and and his grandpa.
1: Yeah. And Susan was kind of a helicopter mom, I guess. Uh, His aunt's maternal grandfather, Whipple. Yes, Yes, his name is Whipple.
0: Yes, his grandfather's name is Whipple. Whipple. Whipple Van Buren Phillips.
1: That is a name.
0: It's amazing. (laughs) Whipple. Whipple. Why am I saying what, what way? (laughs) Uh,
1: Apparently he was the sort of grandfather you'd see in the movies. Uh, Open book in his lap. Children wrapped with attention circled around him. Um, He taught Lovecraft. (laughs) Lovecraft. (laughs) I was still on Whipple. Uh, He taught Lovecraft about classic literature and poetry and also added a dash of the dark side, a little flair. He would speak of winged horrors. Um, and provide the sounds and moaning and uh, growling to accompany his fiction so really a true showman
0: yeah he was a he was a seemed like an awesome dude and he was also a successful entrepreneur and businessman oh wow yeah
1: wow um so lovecraft learned to read and write from grandpa whipple at an early age and by three years old uh would be able to correspond with his elder um while the man was away on business
0: yeah like be able to you know compose like significant correspondence Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. not just like drawing a picture of you know what would become cthulhu later
1: lovecraft would also later state that by his grandfather forcing him to walk through darkened rooms of his family home he was able to conquer his fear of darkness so this dude uh grandpa whipple definitely set the groundwork for the writer lovecraft um to grow into
0: So, uh, death was a large part, uh, of the Lovecraft home in the years following young Howard's life. Uh, not only was his mother permanently stricken by grief at the loss of her husband, but two years before his death, Whipple's wife and Howard's maternal grandmother, Roby died. Her passing, uh, cast in Lovecraft's later words, quote, a gloom from which it never fully recovered. The older members of the house were black for extended periods of time and frightened the boy and gave him nightmares of what he called, quote, night gaunts. Ooh. Something that would eventually find its way into his fiction. And again, I you know, I think this is all important because I think most of his childhood informed the person he would grow into and the stuff he would write about. Unexplainable mm-hmm. fears. And it, uh, as we go along, you're going to see that Lovecraft himself was kind of a scared guy. Just didn't like the outside world too much.
1: And maybe this was his way of dealing with it.
0: Yep, absolutely. So-
1: um, to add more uh, brutality to his impressionable youth, Grandpa Whipple began to lose money, his business ventures uh, declining, forcing him to excuse the hired staff that took care of their family home. Oh,
0: no. Well. The servants are gone. But, uh, again, I mean, if you've know, if you grown up and that's all you've ever known.
1: That's true. It could be kind um, of scary.
0: All of a sudden, it'd be kind of scary. Like, what's happening to our family? If you've always known mm-hmm. there to be a servant to make you a you know, sandwich or something, mm-hmm. and suddenly you had to make it yourself. Not, I mean, I make my own sandwiches all the time, but yeah. I've never had a servant to do yeah. it. So, you know, it would be kind of, you know, shell mm-hmm. shocking, I guess.
1: So, in addition to the servants being dismissed, uh, larger losses followed, as well as Whipple's death in 1904. So, nearly broke, Susan was forced to move uh, the dwindling members of the family into a tiny duplex at the same time young Howard was beginning high school. So, later in life, he spoke of his increasing apathy about living and extended periods spent outside of school due to what he called near breakdowns. Just before graduation, Lovecraft left school again, noting, quote, I was and am prey to intense headaches, insomnia, and nervous, uh, general nervous weaknesses, which prevents my condition's application to anything, end quote. In his letters, he insults, oh, I'm sorry, it's, this, it's this. he didn't insult anyone, um, he insists that uh, he still planned to attend Brown U- University, but this proved false, as he never attended Brown nor any institution of higher learning. In fact, he never graduated from high school.
0: Did you know that before this episode? I did not. It's kind of weird. You always assume, like, you know, famous writers and things are. A lot
1: of them have no formal
0: education. Oh, no, no, most of them don't. And that's, yeah. you know, in some ways it's like, why did I get a doctorate? <laughs> You know, maybe that's why I'm not writing anything of note.
1: I I just, you know, I just really like
0: school. I I just didn't really know what else to do, so I just kept (laughs) going to school. Um, Yeah, me too, actually. uh, The next few years of Lovecraft's life are vague. Uh, References to long periods of seclusion, continued battles with what would later be considered severe depression. Although, during this time, various neighbors would report shouting matches emanating from the house, and they assumed that this was Lovecraft and his mother arguing, just Uh loudly. But later... Lovecraft himself would claim this was not the case, but rather he and his mother were reciting Shakespeare together with gusto.
1: That's amazing.
0: It's kind of cute, That's you know. It's really cute. Like, I think mom was uh, very protective over him. I mm-hmm. think that I think that did something to him, also not in a bad way, but it made him kind of sheltered. Mm-hmm. But I think like that was his way of, I don't know, expressing himself. Yeah, hanging out with his mom. Yeah, doing Shakespeare. Um, although he wasn't seen out of the house much. Uh, he was keeping himself busy. Some of his early letters and criticism began to appear in magazines, mostly of the weird and pulp variety, around 1911.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, His first creative work was published in 1912, (coughs) a poem that featured themes of immigrants taking over his birthplace and forcing out those of English descent. This was titled Providence in 2000 AD. Uh, Other unpublished poems from this time period were also discovered, some of which contained some xenophobic sentiments, unfortunately, um, the beginnings of a controversial aspect of Lovecraft's work, work, um, which we'll discuss later. He also continued to write in verse, having published uh, credits in myriad places and for a time focused on journalism. So though his uh, earliest short story, The Alchemist, appeared in 1916, his friend W. Paul Cook, an editor and printer and sometimes writer, began to let Lovecraft borrow books with supernatural themes and encouraged Lovecraft to continue writing in this vein. Yep. Dagon, Beyond the Wall of Sleep, and The Tomb soon followed, the latter which obviously inspired uh, Lovecraft's deep admiration uh, of Edgar Allan Poe. But it wasn't until closer to 1920 that the works that would uh, form the basis of the Cthulhu mythos would be written. I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm going to try. Well, hold on. our Arlath...
0: So so it's funny that you say that, Um, and we should address this now, that many of the things that he wrote, many of the names and places, uh, he wrote in such a way that uh, he did so they would be very hard, if not impossible, to pronounce, like Cthulhu. Um, Technically, we're not supposed to be able to pronounce that, but we just do, so we can do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because this goes into his idea that what he was writing about in these mystical realms and these, these otherworldly, great, old, evil gods were um so foreign to the human mind that mm-hmm. even their names couldn't be pronounced by mm-hmm. you know human speech so it's a uh, nyarlathotep nyarlathotep uh-huh
1: nyarlathotep yes sounds like like a pirate like, yeah kind of
0: nyarlathotep
1: uh it's a poetic work and the short story the crawling chaos contain hints to the great old ones and glimpses behind the curtain But it was uh, the nameless city, often credited as the first, to fully open the door. It is this story in which the famous line appears, quote, That is not dead, which can eternal lie, and with strange aeons, even death may die.
0: So this is a really important line, and it was really cool to hear you say it. Um, I love this line. Um, and there's been a lot of people. Um, and someone that I used quite a bit for the research in this was is a, a scholar and historian named S.T. Joshi. Mm. Um, interesting. I mean, he's published like pretty much the greatest uh, amount of information on Lovecraft's life and scholarship about his works. He's really um, kind of justified Lovecraft's inclusion into the literary conversation. Um, and he's actually... of indian descent he was born in india Mm -hmm. um and it's interesting because he has been a huge defender of lovecraft even though lovecraft himself probably wouldn't have liked him yeah because of his skin color yeah um but anyway um him he you know he's been a a big source of information for the show um but a lot of other people have tried to interpret this line and you know, for me, what it's saying is that that is that is not dead. I think you know, uh, it's kind of an archaic way of saying that which is not dead. Uh, can eternal lie is what. It, uh, in in some ways, it's saying um, there are beings that we don't understand mm-hmm. that are immortal, but it's not a, a mortality thing. They don't have any concept of life and death. They just exist. Mm-hmm. Right. They just exist out of time and split time and space. And so the second part, and with strange eons, even death may die. Sounds kind of weird, right? Like on first, yeah. like what is, what is he trying to say? Strange eons, meaning um us as human beings suddenly enter a new age or a new eon, um, we'll start to realize that even the concept of death can die.
1: Yeah, because everything, I mean, time is
0: mm-hmm. a human
1: construct. It is.
0: And okay. I think that's even death may die. hmm. I think a lot of people misinterpret that as, you know, just kind of some weird throwaway line about immortality. But it's not that. It's the concept of death even being a thing actually goes away.
1: Wow. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, Yeah. Writing um, some really impressive stuff. And so, this initial period of success continued, um, yet his family continued to crumble. So, though no no records can truly attest to the incident, it is theorized that Lovecraft's mother, Susan, had a nervous breakdown and went to live with her sister for a brief brief time before being taken to Butler Hospital, the same facility her late husband had been committed
0: to. Which is interesting. It's, like, there aren't a lot of uh, things about what happened, but I almost picture, like, you know, he's, you know, he's in his 20s now. Mm -hmm. Um, He's still living at home, you know? Like, the modern equivalent would be, like, you know, the guy in his basement— jerking off to hentai like uh you know his parents are like get a job go away but he doesn't have a job no you know and it's almost like she just kind of has enough of it mm-hmm. i'm not blaming her breakdown on lovecraft by any means but it's almost like she moves out almost like she's trying to get away from him
1: yeah
0: um and i don't think it was just him i think that you know she had a lot of demons going on in her just like her Absolutely. His, his dad did and then she goes to the same facility Ooh. Which is interesting because now we're realizing that both of his biological parents had severe mental illness.
1: Well, from what we know about mental illness, a lot of times it does run in families. So. It does.
0: But these are two different bloodlines converging. Yeah. So what is going on with him?
1: Uh, he's He's got a lot of stuff in his brain, which we can see on. from his writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a letter to the Providence Journal in 1948, her sister Clara stated that Susan had delusions of, quote, Weird and fantastic creatures that rushed out from behind buildings and from corners at dark. End quote. Lovecraft spent much time with his mother at Butler Hospital, even realizing soon after her commitment that she would spend the rest of her days there, right up until her death in 1921. A pretty tragic thing to realize. It
0: is, yeah. It, uh, she didn't die from, like, what, how her, uh, how Lovecraft's dad died, though. Mm-hmm. She actually had, a, like, a gallbladder surgery.
1: Yeah, so complications yeah.
0: related to surgery.
1: The very depressed Lovecraft became increasingly so, and his suicidal thoughts increased as evidenced through his letters at this time. So all this began to change soon after meeting <coughs> Sonia Green, a divorcee and an amateur journalism convention. Yeah. Um, Though his remaining family members disproved of this Sonia, Lovecraft seemed to be enthralled in his first real love and quickly married her and moved to her New York City apartment.
0: Yeah, so I... At this point, um, again, I'm not trying to be crass here, but it seems like he never really had any interest in women before mm-hmm. this point, or they didn't have interest in him, probably because he was a weirdo, hanging yeah. out hanging out in his mom's house, reciting Shakespeare.
1: Yeah, so the first woman to uh touch his pee Yep. He
0: was like, just like, I'm in. I'm in. Yep.
1: All right. So, l Sprague de Camp, writer of Lovecraft, biography, describes much of their relationship and Sonia's views about her husband um comparing lovecraft to her former husband green would say that lovecraft was a very passive person especially with regard to their relationship and she was forced to take charge most often in her own way she argued that this was a product of his relationship with his late mother so a true mama's boy despite his passive nature sonia green said that lovecraft quote performed satisfactorily as a sexual partner so that's a pretty nice thing.
0: It is. I, I feel like uh, any man out there listening who uh, heterosexual man who uh, worries uh, about their level of um, pleasure given to mm-hmm. a partner or the satisfying of, uh, yeah. you know, you know, the carnal um, marriage based needs. Uh, I'm trying to be, as, you know, less crass as possible. Um, <laughs> if I were, you know, laying next to you after. Mm-hmm. Uh, said coitus uh you know maybe smoking a cigarette yeah feeling really good about what I did and you go yeah, that'll do that was uh that was okay you, you performed okay yeah. yeah you checked I mean it, it almost feels like she had one of those like work uh evaluation forms you know where like checking
1: boxes <laughs> yeah like
0: but all the boxes that are checked are like room meets, for improvement meets expectations <laughs> not you know like goes above and beyond yeah just like you know does partner um Go through the sexual emotions, meets expectations,
1: satisfactory.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're not. Uh, he's not. He's not winning any awards, nor is he. Uh, you know, he's not getting promoted in the uh, in the company. Basically,
1: maybe this is due to his lack of experience. Yeah, probably.
0: Probably. Yeah. I can see her just like really taking the reins. Like, okay, this is where it goes. Mm-hmm. You know, no, 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 put, no. Put it here. <laughs> that's that's where. It, okay. There you go. Oh, okay. There you, you go. You, you
1: did all right. That's, you did. That's, 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 you that's did. Okay
0: good boy. Good boy. <laughs> in
1: 1925, Sonia Green moved to Cleveland for work, leaving Lovecraft behind, though they remained married. Uh, she began to travel and relocate more over the coming years and steadily sent an allowance back to Lovecraft's one bedroom apartment in Red Hook. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He still doesn't have a job. No. I don't think he ever has a job. In but his was, life.
1: wasn't it more common to be like, I'm a writer? you
0: know yeah but i think it was it was less common That's my job i'm a writer for a dude to be like kind of taken care of yeah um and it doesn't it feel like right you know at this point she's more like a, a second mom yeah than a you know a, a, an equal partner
1: yeah maybe she feels bad for
0: him maybe she does she's or maybe i mean she also could just really believe him in as an artist you know could be but I don't know. I mean, would you want to do that? Like, no, you're out there busting your ass and I'm my just money's in... my money, but I'm just at home <laughs> like busting out my narla t- narla Thotep stories.
1: Well, I that guess nobody it really likes
0: at the time, you know,
1: I don't know. I mean, of course, I'd support you because I love you, but I'm not sure she loved him very much.
0: I don't know. I think I think she did. But yeah, I, I, maybe I not in the that. way that I love you. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe at first she was Mm -hmm. like, he's a sensitive soul, got a lot of things to say, but she also had to go where the money was, and she was becoming more of a big deal at the time as a journalist, so. Yeah, that's true. Yeah.
1: So it was during this time, uh, while living at 169 Clinton Street in an area that was populated by immigrants and was considered a tough neighborhood, that Lovecraft was robbed. His apartment was burglarized, leaving him without any money, furniture, or anything. He literally only had the clothes on his back.
0: Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Like. Everything was taken out of his apartment. Imagine just coming home and like
1: nothing is. They there. even took
0: the ice cube trays out of the freezer. Dicks. Well, I mean, they didn't have a freezer then, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Like, I like understand. literally everything. Like even
1: my is you gone. Know, my dirty underwear gone.
0: Well, those would probably be the first to go. You know, probably. burglars are they're perverts. Yeah. I don't know. Sorry <laughs> to any burglars out there. I don't think you're a pervert, but I think you should stop burglarizing.
1: Yeah. Swiper, stop swiping. Okay, another biographical work on Lovecraft written by uh Michael
0: Yeah. Hulebeck? Yeah, uh I'm pretty sure he's a Swedish writer. He's written a, a couple of horror stories, uh horror novels. Um I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Wellbeck. Yeah, I think it's like Well Wellbeck. or Hulebeck. You know, um yeah.
1: Uh he would later suggest that this time in this neighborhood and his mor- misfortunes would lead to further resentment of immigrants, a theme found in some of his writing.
0: Yeah, we're kind of dancing around that a little bit. Um But we're going to get there. We will. This idea of um, xenophobia.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, He moved back to Providence, where, still living uh, apart from his wife, he would produce the bulk of his lasting body of work. His longer works at the Mountains of Madness and the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath were completed, along with countless other short stories. He also worked as a ghostwriter for others, even formed a friendship with Harry Houdini, which is awesome. Yes. Who would try to help Lovecraft's financial troubles by settling a meeting... Uh, With the head of the newspaper agency, as well as asking him to ghostwrite a book called The Cancer of Superstition for him.
0: Yeah. Um, And he actually did um, write a good majority of this, but Houdini died a a year later. Mm. Um, And, you know, obviously things didn't really work out. No. So. Uh,
1: However, Lovecraft was, it appears, notoriously bad about managing not only his money, but his career. In public, he'd appear aloof and unconcerned with critics, but secretly despised their words. Often, he wouldn't submit work if it had been rejected once. So, not really a good way to be a writer. You not gotta, a, you gotta, if you're a writer, you got to deal with rejection. Yeah. Um, around this time, publishers uh, were intrigued by Lovecraft, would ask if he had longer novel-length novel work for them, and he would leave uh, the inquiries unanswered.
0: He would just not respond. They would be like, hey, do you have a novel? We'll publish it. And he just didn't respond.
1: I mean, if someone asked me, do you have a novel? I'd be like, hell yes, I haven't written it yet, but I'll have it ready in five minutes.
0: (laughs) I'm going to write it all tonight.
1: (laughs) Uh, His work began selling less and less. And it has been said that uh, throughout his literary career, the earnings from his writings wouldn't even cover his basic expenses. He lived on his wife's monthly allowance and what remained of his family's inheritance. So receiving virtually no recognition for his contributions to the horror and weird fiction genres or literature as a whole during his life, Howard Phillips Lovecraft died March 15, 1937, from complications of intestinal cancer. He was 46 years old. And thus concludes the short, sad life of H.P. Lovecraft, arguably one of the greatest contributors to horror in the history of the written word.
0: To even begin to explore the vast universe or mythos created by H.P. Lovecraft. We'd need a two- or three-part episode, at least. If not a whole podcast dedicated to it. So for the purposes of today's show, which is to give you Seekers of the Sinister a better baseline of understanding of Lovecraft's life, literature, and the legacy he's set, uh, let's start with a description of Lovecraftian fiction, in his own words.
1: And uh, just a side note, if you hear any slurping, it's not Cthulhu uh, coming out of the depths, it's our dog drinking water.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're in the studio today, in the uh, overnook, so... <laughs> Um, yep, okay, she's done now. Alright, so, in, uh, in Lovecraft's own words, quote, Now all my tales are based on the fundamental premise that common human laws and interests and emotions have no validity or significance in the vast cosmos at large. To me, there is nothing but puerility in a tale in which the human form and the local human passions and conditions and standards are depicted as native to other worlds or other universes to achieve the essence of real externality whether of time or space or dimension one must forget that such things as organic life good and evil love and hate and all such local attributes of a negligible and temporary race called mankind have any existence at all only the human scenes and characters must have human qualities these must be handled with unsparing realism, not catchpenny penny romanticism. But when we cross the line to the boundless and hideous unknown, the shadow-haunted outside, we must remember to leave our humanity and terrestrialism at the threshold.
1: Wow. Mm-hmm. He was a very eloquent writer. He
0: was, which is weird because he, I mean, didn't even graduate high school. And I think about that, like, you know, that that is sort of a, a common complaint of his stuff, that it is a little too archaic Mm -hmm. in its construction. But I think a a huge part of that is what he was reading. I mean, you know, he'd been reading Victorian fiction and, you know, the way that writers before him were writing Mm -hmm. and without that kind of formalized uh, education, that's probably why, I mean, a good amount of stuff that he was writing was, he was coming out at the same time as like F. Scott Fitzgerald was writing great Gatsby and the beautiful and Damned*, and, you know, H.P. Lovecraft or, h.p lovecraft uh, ernest hemingway you <laughs> mm-hmm. know things like that um so you know he was kind of an of an older school i think yeah um and i think that's you know kind of interesting it's definitely a reflection in his yeah writing. so the stories of lovecraft are always have something off something creeping at the edges threatening to seep in or crash in altering the very rea- reality humanity holds so dear the uncanny yep this is done so through a variety of interconnecting themes. And he has a lot of themes, but uh, today I, you know, uh, wanted to focus on just a couple of them. Mm-hmm. And one of them is, you know, the acquisition of knowledge. Uh, you know, we talk about, um, you know, uh, esotericism, you know, as a society. And that's often uh, often labeled as evil, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the acquisition of knowledge. I mean, that's, you know, the Church of Satan and, you know, things like that are always talking about, you know, gaining knowledge. That's the what forbidden fruit, uh, forbidden fruit. Uh, that's why, I mean, that's why people summon demons, not because they want to hang out with a demon. Well, maybe some do, mm-hmm. but, uh, they do that because they want knowledge. They want, more. they want more. They want, uh, to know what's behind the curtain. And in some ways, you know, Lovecraft was giving them that answer, you know, in a fictional world that maybe you don't want to see what's back there. Yeah. You know? So, uh, The acquisition of knowledge, which can be recognized as both outward or inward knowledge, um, either learning about the truth of one's own world and reality through texts like the Necronomicon, or the discovery of knowledge about one's own interiority. Uh, Donald R. Burleson writes about Lovecraft's propensity for the discovery of such forbidden knowledge and argues that, quote, The ultimate philosophical effect is always the same the original Outsider's loathsome form standing forever as a metaphor for the revelations of humankind's self-discovery. And I, you know, uh, I think about it and, you know, a lot of his stuff was written after, uh, 1919, you know, after, uh, World War One mm-hmm. and the atrocities that we see. And we also yeah. talk about the technological innovations and how the world basically shifted from what it was to what it would become in the matter of 20 years. And, you know, he witnessed those horrors of World War One. um, he actually did try to enlist, um, but for reasons that he never disclosed, they wouldn't accept him. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking it was probably because he was an anxiety-ridden ball of nerves that they're yeah. like, we don't want to give him a gun.
1: That that would be me. Yeah. We don't want to give her a gun. <laughs> we don't want to
0: give her a gun. <laughs> um, but his stories, you know, especially a lot of these stories about Cthulhu and you know, uh, this acquisition of knowledge emerged after the conclusion of that war, the horror of what men were capable of doing to one another and what they were actually carrying out is enough to shatter their perception of civilized reality and leave the thinker alone in the midst of an unrecognizable world. I mean, the world was forever changed after world war one. You don't come back from that. No, you know, you don't, um, another concept that, you know, he, he tackles in his work is um, the, the f- relationship and often flawed relationship between science and technology. Um, his incredible short story, the color out of space, which uh, was just recently made into a new movie starring Nicholas cage. And I want to see it really, really bad, but I haven't seen it yet. Oh, I love Nicholas cage. Um, so if anybody, you did not, when we first got together, didn't. he was a laughing stock to you.
1: He changed my mind. Okay. Because the first Nicholas cage film I remember seeing was ghost Rider. Mm. And I went on a first date to that movie with one of my high school boyfriends. Not that I had many. Um, I only had two, one of them, and we left that movie, and we were like, that was fucking horrible.
0: Yeah, it was really bad. Um, but at the, I think at that time, like, I oh, it was, what, mid-2000s, probably? Yeah. Um, he was spending a lot of money, I think he was taking a lot of roles to, you know, uh, facilitate his lifestyle. Yeah. I saw him one time. Really? When I was living in Orange County. I don't know if I ever told you that.
1: I don't think so. I was
0: driving my little, um... I think, yeah, at the time, I had a little Chevy S10, a white pickup truck, and I was uh, at the, gosh, I can't remember the name of the mall. It was an outdoor, uh, like, kind of multi-tiered mall complex in, I think, Mission Viejo, Lake Forest, somewhere down in Orange County. Mm-hmm. I think I might have been with a girlfriend or a friend, or I don't know what I was doing, but I was pulling out of the parking garage, and this bright yellow Lamborghini came around, and we were both trying to get out at the same time, and in a, in a flash of you know, compassion or kindness or something. I waved the person through, which is weird because I never do that. Yeah. Never. I'm always like, F you, I'm going. Right. <laughs> uh, but I was like, you know, go ahead. I also kind of wanted to look at the car. And so this Lamborghini pulls in front of me to be able to exit and the window rolls down and it's straight up Nick Cage. And what? he gives me this really nice wave. Like, thanks so much for letting me go. Like he wasn't a dick about it. He uh-huh. was just like, that was really nice. Cause I technically had the right away, way, but I just let him go.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's, you know, so whatever, but that's that's my you know, he was in a, a movie uh, that came yeah. out a couple of months ago called uh, "The Color Out of Space," um, and that original story, which is incredible, uh, it's I haven't one, read it. One of my favorite short stories. Um, it involves like the mishaps, uh, you know, scientists and laypeople as they try to understand and learn from a meteorite. Um, this meteorite crashes into a farmer's field, and
1: why is it always space stuff happens in farmers' fields?
0: Uh, well, I think always it's not i mean so this is a this is a whole different animal um because it involves this thing crashing and then new vegetation starts to grow around it oh my god it's great it's it's a wonderful story but um humanity's inability to like grasp that it is from another world Mm -hmm. ultimately leads to their downfall because they just assume that they can interpret it in their own terms, in human terms and they can't. So their sheer ignorance of this meteorite's origins and its capabilities, as well as the arrogance of the characters to not take the you know sort of precautions uh, against a foreign alien object leads to you know a violent contamination. Oh, fuck. you know that sort of thing. And the America, uh, you know, America of 1920, was awash with technological advancements, too mm-hmm. incredible to count. I mean, suddenly all aspects of life were improved or streamlined in some way. There are advancements in the world of medicine, communication, travel, etc. Enough to create, it can be argued, a sense of infallibility that Lovecraft may have perceived as our eventual destructor. I mean, wow. think about it all of a sudden, telephones, electric lights, you know, all these different things. It's travel. like travel. I think in some way he's like, this is all foreign technologies that we are too eager to use before we fully understand it. Yeah. You know? Um, and, uh, w- you know, one more big theme uh, in his work is the destruction of self. Mm-hmm. Uh, to further that theme of contamination, it seems Lovecraft always worried about the unraveling of humanity as a whole, you know, as well as the individual. Much of his stories are concerned with confronting horrors so unfathomable that they drive educated thinking characters into utter madness there always feels like there's something lurking just beyond waiting to come back into reality or destroy at least how we perceive it and those unlucky enough to get a sneak preview are completely unable to process it thus losing their minds i mean we see this in uh certain things uh without giving too much away i mean the lighthouse has that Mm -hmm. uh in the end when you know he actually looks into the lighthouse we don't see what's in there no. But we can tell that whatever's in there is too much for him to handle. Yeah. You know? Um,
1: I, I, I Opening that, part, that
0: doorway. You know, That part
1: reminded me of um, opening the briefcase in... Um, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction.
0: You know, there is that... Something uh, is there that we just And don't. how much do, have we wanted as a society or as cinephiles to know what was actually in there? Was it his soul? You know, like, what What was it, you know? We're never supposed to know and we're not, because we and can't that's handle it. And that's what makes it scarier. Yeah. That's what makes it more scarier but it also makes it more intriguing at the same time mm-hmm. and that's that's the interesting um but this unraveling can be seen as lovecraft's interpretation of the internal internal struggle within mankind against animalistic intentions and behaviors right like if you stare dude like you know he did read nietzsche um you know if you stare too long into the abyss the abyss stares back into you right mm-hmm. um and in some ways i think that he's also commenting on the nature of if someone were to really look at their interiority and see who they are and what they're capable of, it would be enough to drive them mad. Yeah. Because we are capable of doing such atrocious things. And we see that by people, you know, everywhere from Stalin to Hitler to Jeffrey Dahmer, you know,
1: you know, we always speculate what would I do in that situation? How would I act in that situation? Oh, I would always do the right thing. I would probably do the right thing. We never know what we're capable
0: of. You have no idea what you're capable of. And I think that that, um, that's what he's talking about. That one, a person's own primitive barbarity mm-hmm. is lurking beneath the, surfe- the surface, and mm-hmm. it's waiting to be unleashed. Mm-hmm. You know, the degradation of self is also seen as a product of heritage, the passing down of horrifying intentions of one's own heart from generation to generation. The mental illness and other health issues in his family, especially from his father, may have led Lovecraft to fear what lurked inside of him, and this manifested in his fiction as his characters truly unable to grasp. The horror of both within and without Mm. like you know he lived for about 16 years i think after his mom died and both of them died in a lunatic asylum
1: i mean how would you not think of that that you're looking into your own future yeah
0: he knew what was going to happen and you know to be fair he died from cancer but if it wasn't for that probably would have descended into his own madness Mm -hmm. you know sorry if if you're
1: hearing that a big fart cone just drove drove down our street
0: yeah yeah some kind of a import tuner just uh puttering down the street here in augusta georgia um (laughs) and then let's uh let's just let's do it we're gonna round this out with an exploration of of um lovecraft and race and Mm -hmm. you know we're just gonna put it out there um race factors into his work. Uh, a common reaction to the name of Lovecraft is claims of racism and xenophobia. And based on some of his earlier writings and interpretable themes throughout the body of his work, this is, unfortunately, <laughs> an accurate assumption. Mm-hmm. He was a racist. Yeah. Um, writing for The Atlantic, Philip Eil comments about Lovecraft, quote, he was a virulent racist. The xenophobia and white supremacy that burble beneath his fiction, which may have gone unnoticed had he remained anonymous, are startlingly explicit in his letters. Flip through them and you'll find the author bemoaning Jews as, quote, hook-nosed, swarthy, guttural-voiced aliens with whom, quote, association was intolerable. Yikes. New York City's, uh, quote, flabby, pungent, grinning, chattering N-words, and New England's, quote, undesirable Latins, low-grade Southern Italians and Portuguese, and the clamorous plague of French-Canadians.
1: So not real tolerant.
0: Not real tolerant. Uh, In 1922, he wrote that he wished, quote, a kindly gust of cyanogen would asphyxiate the whole gigantic abortion of New York City's Chinatown. Oh, my. Which he called a, quote, bastard mess of stewing mongrel flesh. In another letter, he wrote, quote, in general, America has made a fine mess of its population and will pay for it in tears amidst the premature rottenness unless something is done extremely soon oh shit. so he like,
1: said that
0: yeah he said a lot of things and uh, to be fair um and i'm not excusing it no. um a lot no, of this was of in not. private correspondence yeah it's he wasn't putting that out there it doesn't mean that he, he wasn't a racist or he didn't believe those things but these were things that were unearthed afterward you mm-hmm. know he said he sent the stuff in letters not saying i forgive him for saying it no but he wasn't intending this to be a manifesto no um and I will say, and we'll get into this a little bit more, that I think some of his xenophobia really did influence his writing. We wouldn't yeah. have this sort of isolationism. No. And this uh, man against the world kind of idea mm-hmm. if it didn't come from a man who felt increasingly isolated because of his own xenophobic tendencies and racist tendencies being in a city like New York.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's not like he was Ezra Pound getting on the radio and. No publicly saying these things it was
0: then again i mean he did say some pretty horrible things i mean it it, it, you know it's one of those things where i have i have a hard time reconciling loving his work i mean i have a i have a lovecraft tattoo on my arm not of his face but of what he's created and there's a part of me that you know i'm not gonna say i regret it i don't regret it at all but you know am i supporting a racist or am i supporting the idea that a racist created
1: and, and we we drew and i talk about this all the time because we do um appreciate writers who have had racist um thoughts and yes. done racist things so and you know not just writers but um filmmakers and and other people as well how do you separate the art from the artist do you do can you, you separate you? it and can, can you? you so
0: well i yeah. mean does con- does continuing to support his work make me a racist
1: i don't know if i can answer that question
0: yeah and that's and that's the question you know but let's talk about you know a a little bit more of his history of recognition in the Mm -hmm. literary world um in 1975 the world fantasy convention which is a big deal now uh, met for the first time in providence rhode island and in honor of lovecraft's birthplace and a perceived underappreciation of his work they named their world fantasy award um, which, you know, celebrates outstanding work in, in the fantasy genre um, after him. Well, they didn't name it after him, but the, the, the trophy itself is, mm-hmm. it's a cartoon, cartoonish, or was a cartoonish-looking uh, bust of Lovecraft. Okay. From, you know, kind of the, the necktie up. Um, and I apologize, I'm not exactly uh, sure how to pronounce her name. I think it's Niedi or Nedi. Uh, i think it's nettie nettie uh okorafor uh Mm. the writer um has spoken about receiving this award um she was the first african-american woman to win the award and she of course has every right to express her thoughts about the award's image and she does so quite eloquently on her blog quote anyway a statuette a statuette of this racist man's head is in my home a statuette of this racist man's head is one of my greatest honors as a writer (laughs) <laughs> and I can never understand what it, what it would mean to be her and to mm-hmm. win that. But that I think she feel. does, a, she does a really good job of expressing this in this next quote on, uh, on her, uh, blog, which you can still find online. It's wonderful. And I would say, read it. Cause she, you know, in addition to her being an amazing, uh, novelist, she's also, you know, really just eloquent in her own, you know, journal basically. Cause mm-hmm. that's what a blog is, right? Yeah. It's just the modern equivalent of a journal that everybody reads. um, she also goes on, she, she, quote, it's not as if I haven't encountered this issue before. One of my favorite writers is Stephen King. Yet, in several of his novels, including one of my all-time favorite, favorites, The Talisman, he features super-duper magical Negroes. That's, very, that's a very mild example, um, and I certainly don't feel that King hates black people. I recently consumed and adored Norman Mailer's Pulitzer Prize-winning masterpiece, *The Executioner's Song*. Only learned that Mailer was a, a raging and violent sexist and homophobe. And it's funny because after she read that, or after I read this on her blog, I went and looked up Norman Mailer, and I was like, "Holy shit, this guy's horrible."
1: I didn't know that.
0: Like, go to his Wikipedia page, and you know how it like lists mm-hmm. spouses. He had like 17 wives, not really, but like it was. But wow. he was married for like a year to like six different people Ooh. and he was, you know, like a lot of stories about him. You just don't hear that. You hear about, you know, the naked and the dead and, you know, yeah. things of that nature. And it's, you know, you don't think about who they were as people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Okorafora goes on to say, I love Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Who doesn't? Right. I mean, that's yeah. like, that's a name that is synonymous with like great literature, right? Absolutely. Love in the time of cholera, etc." cetera. Yeah. Um, but she says just the description of one of his recent novels which is called memories of my melancholy Horrors, hmm. Um made me want to hurl. That's what she said. Um, another novel tenderly featuring pedophilia. Great. Ooh. And I love film almost as much as I love literature. What of the film that revolutionized filmmaking birth of a nation? It was basically a piece of Ku Klux Klan uh, propaganda. Yep. When I saw that film in college, I wanted to go out and punch someone and set things on fire and blow things up yet in terms of technique and narrative form, It was also a masterpiece. And I agree. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. I have such a love-hate relationship with, you know, some of the seminal films and, you know, film history. Birth of Nation is, by and large, a masterpiece when it comes to filmmaking. But it's also a racist, garbage piece of shit. Yeah. And it's also the first film ever to be shown in the White House. Woodrow Wilson. Wow. Did you know that?
1: That is kind of terrible. It is.
0: So... I can't imagine what it would be like to be in her position. But this notion of conflict, I think, it's essential to the discussion of someone like Lovecraft. Mm -hmm. How do we separate the art from the artist? Especially in the case of the horror Red Hook, where the two, uh, you know, began to bleed through together. Mm -hmm. Remember, he lived in Red Hook, and Red Hook at the time was predominantly a very uh, immigrant-centric neighborhood. There were, you know, a lot of different people from a lot of different cultures, and he was... I think he was robbed multiple times, but I know for sure... He was burglarized that one time. Yeah. Um, so it would jade him if he was already... Racist. Predisposed. And you have to think about the sheltered life he lived.
1: I'm just kind of push him over the edge.
0: None of this is excusing him being racist. No. Um, and I feel like I have to keep saying that because I don't want to be perceived as someone who's excusing racism. And you I'm can't not. excuse racism. I'm not excusing it. But yep. what I'm saying is, if he didn't know any better... Again, I think in modern times, it's easy to say... There's no excuse for not knowing better because there's access to technology and information mm-hmm. and ways of, of thinking. But in 1919.
1: Who also did not have a formal education, uh-uh. which I feel like a lot of racism stems from not having education.
0: You know, and I thought about that too. Uh, you, you know, like I'm not going to say I was ever a racist. I wasn't, but I didn't know about a lot of things until mm-hmm. I went to college. Yep. You know, I didn't know how other people lived. I didn't know how other cultures lived and other no you know, countries and things like that. And he didn't have that again, not excusing it. No, but I can also see how it would have happened. Yes. Um, later in 2014, there was a petition to replace the bust of Lovecraft with one of Octavia Butler who wrote Kindred and also Mm -hmm. an amazing book. Amazing book. And I would say that it was a game changer for science fiction and fantasy in general. Absolutely. Uh, the petition received 2,500 names and the trophy was changed. But it's unclear if it was actually a direct result of the petition. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I could see the convention, you know, the you know the leaders of the board, not wanting to continue this. Um, you know, the position was uh, the petition was basically saying, you know, why do we have this racist dude as you know a cel- you know a celebration of um, uh, you know th- these great things when there are people of color and people of different nationalities and things that are writing things just as good as him. Yep and i can totally see that argument i can see Absolutely. it um but the, i think the the difference is is they the award was not established in his name because of his racism uh so you know um at the same time i can see that you know the, the need for a change yes. and so they did change it and it, but they didn't change it to another writer instead it's now i think since 2015 um it's the image of a a barren tree like a leafless tree uh, mm-hmm. with a moon behind it you know Great. it's kind of a you know kind of an eerie uh spooky
1: kind of spooky
0: graveyardy yeah. kind of thing um so leslie Klinger uh writes that it's actually his racism that lovecraft's racism gives his literary production its enduring power the isolation he felt whether misguided or not and this is what i was kind of trying to say earlier yeah quote but that powers his stories, the sense that he's alone, that he's surrounded by enemies and everything hostile to him. And I think you take away that part of his character, it might make him a much nicer person, but it would destroy the stories. And so what what she's saying is that it's because of <laughs> the, the, the racism inherent in his mind that he was able to create stories with such utter isolationism in its characters. Yeah. Feeling so alone and oppressed by the world. When in in its own way you were the you're only oppressing yourself by feeling that way. But we still have these characters that are so afraid of something they don't understand. Yeah. And in like in some ways that's rationalizing you know what racism is, right? Absolutely. We hate what we don't like. I'm not saying we, but like Human beings do that. We hate what we don't understand.
1: Yep. We're afraid and, of what we don't understand. Yeah,
0: we're afraid of it. And so some people try to understand it. Other people just hate it. Yep. You know? Like, if it's foreign, I hate, I
1: hate, it. hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it.
0: Right? And he might have been one of those people. Yep. Might? Let's go with was. He was. Um, again, you know, no way are we excusing his racism or the horrible sentiments he wrote uh, with that regard. But as a product of a different time who, it seems, had a sheltered upbringing... Uh, that may not have allowed him to grow beyond a hateful or prejudiced mind. Um, But don't think this is an excuse. Like, oh, everybody was racist back then, so it's okay. That's not the point. The point is, Lovecraft may have had a natural gift for writing, especially in the horror vein, but he dropped out of school before the ninth grade. He never attended college. His formal education was so littered with absences... Uh, so his education at least on a technical book level was spotty at best Mm -hmm. how often is extreme racism or xenophobia seen in the very same people who have little to no education often this of course doesn't mean that there aren't highly intelligent racist assholes out there but the simple fact is that without more education people may lack the essential tools to see beyond racial ideologies Mm -hmm. so Lovecraft's lack of education it can be argued may have contributed to his inability to see beyond his own racist misconceptions excusable no. But does it provide a better understanding of how he was able to create such bleak and isolating stories? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Philip Isle quotes Alan Moore, the creator of Watchmen, which tackles a lot of racial themes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in that graphic novel. Quote, In this light, it be it is possible to perceive Howard Lovecraft as an almost unbearably sensitive barometer of American dread. Far from outlandish eccentricities, the fears that generate Lovecraft's stories and opinions were precisely those of white, middle-class, heterosexual, Protestant-descended males who are the most threatened by the shifting power relationships and values of the modern world. If we are able to separate art from the artist, then, uh, Lovecraft fiction shows signs of racism might be better considered as a snapshot of lives very different from our own. A window to see how the mind of a scared white Anglo-Saxon might perceive the continual deepening of America's melting pot. Mm -hmm. Hopeless, dire, bleak, without the possibility of a happy ending. Very much like Lovecraft's own nihilistic work. Do we go there to emulate? Of course, well, some of Unfortunate Souls might. But for the rest of us, it may be akin to relishing stories of serial killers or war crimes. We find it fascinating because it veers so far from our own moral equator. In this way, studying the more overt racial themes in Lovecraft's work, we are able to catch a glimpse of what helps to perpetuate racism. In other words, we can continue to erode what gives racism strength, fear. Mm-hmm. But in the end, I'm a straight, white, nearly middle-aged man living in America. I cannot begin to say what people of color should feel about Lovecraft's legacy. But for, for me, I know two things. I want to be able to write like him, but I don't want to, I don't want to be him. And therein lies the problem to write with existential the the existential nihilism he had i'd have to see the world and my fellow man as horrors like cthulhu which is just beyond my abilities Mm -hmm. things to remember from today's episode for your next awkward conversation all right everybody Uh, i think we're now at that point of our show where uh We kind of recap and we kind of talk about a few things that, you know, you should know or that you could pull out at your next awkward conversation. Like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that weird one on one uh, conversation with a lecherous gym teacher in high school or, uh, you know,
1: cashier at the grocery store,
0: cashier at the grocery store that like, you know, really, really wants to talk to you about um, their life. Yeah. And you don't have any interest, but you're too polite. To, to move on to start throwing in some uh, H.P. Lovecraft facts. Yeah. Um, some love facts, if yeah. you will. Um, so a couple of things. Um, H.P. Lovecraft uh, was born in 1893 uh, in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, and he died in 1937 uh, from intestinal cancer. He spent most of his life in and around Providence. He was born there and he died there, but he spent some time in New York City, um, created most of his iconic work there in New York City, in Red Hook specifically, Um, Number two, both of his parents suffered from mental illness and both were uh, destined to die in Butler Hospital, which is Mm -hmm. the first uh, institution of its kind in uh, in Rhode Island. Uh, Number three, um, as a benchmark for uh, a lot of men out there listening, uh, he performed satisfactorily Mm -hmm. in the bedroom. So if you get higher marks than that, you're doing okay. Um, and maybe that was, you know, maybe it wasn't so much of his racism. Uh, maybe it was his inability to perform, uh, at a superior level that made him so angry. Uh, number four, again, he was racist. He was
1: no getting around it.
0: And that's one of those things where, you know, hate, hate, hate the person, love the work, I guess, you know? Um, and finally he created a plethora uh, of worlds and monsters Uh, that created a Lovecraftian mythos, or Cthulhu mythos, that people still write in today. Um, Mm -hmm. The publishing house, uh, Arkham House, actually was created by some of his former friends, like August Derleth, to celebrate his works, and they're still putting out Lovecraftian fiction today. Mm -hmm. Um, And we didn't really talk about any of those monsters specifically uh, today, but I tasked our gorgeous co-host... Uh, with telling me a little bit about his arguably his most famous creation cthulhu
1: absolutely so if you're one of those people who you know who is cthulhu i'm seeing this monster everywhere because
0: he's on bumper stickers he's on bumper stickers
1: the he's little on jesus t-shirts. fish yeah you know that's
0: like it's the cthulhu fish
1: cthulhu is everywhere so let me tell you a little bit about cthulhu cthulhu is a fictional cosmic entity created by h.b lovecraft first introduced in the short story The Call of Cthulhu in 1928. Cthulhu is considered a great old one and is a gigantic entity worshipped by cultists. He is described as looking like an octopus, a dragon, and a caricature of a human form. In Call of Cthulhu, Lovecraft describes a statue of Cthulhu as, quote, a monster of vaguely anthropoid outline, but with an octopus-like head whose face is a mask of feelers, a scaly, rubbery-looking body prodigious claws and hind on hind and forefeet and a long narrow uh set of wings behind in the greek language kathonic means subterranean which may suggest where cthulhu got the lovecraft name mm-hmm. um i'm sorry where lovecraft got the cthulhu name i switched that around
0: <laughs> that's fair lovecraft himself was kind of a monster so. yes
1: um, and then in the story called cthulhu um cthulhu is hibernating within Raleigh? riley
0: riley riley yeah. riley that's how I've always pronounced it, but again, I don't think we're, we're supposed to have any, like, correct pronunciation.
1: Yeah. Uh, which is a lost fictional city within this universe, Underwater. And so because of his presence, he causes anxiety to all humans, yet some still worship him. Um, so in the short story, the narrator, Francis Wyland Thurston, describes a statue of the creature whose artist, Henry Anthony Wilcox, based his, his likeness off of a dream. Additionally, Thurston discovers Professor Angle's, or Angel's, research of cthulhu describing reports of quote outer mental illnesses and outbreaks of group folly or mania around the world
0: Mm -hmm. boom yeah um so he's um like uh, you know the the pictures you see of cthulhu are are, uh you know he it's almost like a like a jersey devil kind of thing where Mm. he it's like a it's a vaguely humanoid form on kind of devil legs with like mm-hmm. the you know the, the kind of dog back leg hoof kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But he's got wings.
1: It honestly he reminds me T-Rex of T-Rex
0: claws. T-Rex claws. He's got the the uh, spaghetti beard. Yeah, you know, tentacle bunch of beard. You know, tentacles coming down from his face. Mm-hmm. Um, I basically am just trying to become Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. I just want to be worshipped by cultists. Yeah.
1: Uh, who's the character from Pirates of the Caribbean? He's got, like, the tentacles on his face. That's what I always think of. I don't
0: remember, but... Um, Davy Jones. Is it Davy Jones? I don't really uh, know. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I, I would remember. say that, like, he is inspired. Yeah. Uh, by Cthulhu. Um, you know
1: water. Subterranean.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's the thing. He's supposed to be lurking at the bottom of the ocean. He's just sleeping. He's just mm-hmm. waiting. But he's not waiting for anything in particular. He's, you know, he could come back anytime he wants and get us all. And in that way, like, I can see why people would worship him. Yeah. It would be better to worship the thing that's going to come back and take over everything than to ignore its existence, right? Yeah. Because maybe he'll show some leniency toward you. Maybe. Loyal Cthulhu cultist worshiper, right? Maybe. So, um, and that, that you know, we could get into many of his other creations um, and things like that, but it, again, I think it would uh, take an entire season but one last fun fact that that you can bring up uh in your awkward conversations is that supposedly this year jordan peele of uh us and get out fame um Mm. an incredible writer Mm -hmm. um is behind the creation of a new tv show called lovecraft country
1: oh wow which
0: takes place in the jim crow south in which i i think it's jim crow south I, the details I've been uh, I've read on various sites and I, I could have looked this up, but I'm just going by memory here. Um, reconciles a uh, an African American man traveling the South, dealing with racism mm-hmm. as well as Lovecraftian monsters. Wow! Which sounds like it's going to be incredible, and I think that there's going to be a resurgence of love for Lovecraft, um, but also a, a lot more vitriol for his racism.
1: Yeah, uh, it makes sense. I can't wait to watch that.
0: And it, I think it's interesting, you know, uh, the, the guy we spoke about earlier, Philip Isle, you know, if he wouldn't have been reappraised, people mm-hmm. wouldn't have looked at his letters. People wouldn't have known he was a racist, mm-hmm. you know, but the more popular someone gets, the more the lives are scrutinized and you're going to find things you don't like. Yeah. And in some ways, doesn't that reflect his work? The more you try to study something, the more you try to acquire knowledge the more you're going to find stuff you don't want to hear. Yeah. And that's what makes it scary. It does. But that's about all we got today, everybody.
1: So it's time to wrap
0: up. Yeah, let's wrap it up. And now you know.
1: So uh, So we are Dr. Scare Love, if you didn't already know that. we mm-hmm. hope you do. Um, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, at uh, drscarelove. Our website is also drscarelove.com. And our email is drscarelove at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. You can listen to us on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Spotify um, basically all Pocket
0: the places. Pocket Casts. Pocket
1: Casts. All of the places.
0: All the places. Anywhere you go. And honestly, again, please leave us some reviews, some ratings, mm-hmm. um, because there is an algorithm that all those sites use. The more reviews there are, the more inclined to, the, they will be to actually not promote the show, but, you know have it come up more often in searches yes. uh, for certain things. And you know what? We're not doing this because, you know, we don't have any sponsors or anything like that. We're doing it because we love it. Yep. And we think that there are some people out there that love this nerdy horror-based stuff the way we do. And we want to be your friend. Basically, mm-hmm. we're doing this because we want to make more friends. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we moved to a, a new part of the country and we don't have any friends. And we want to make friends with all of you.
1: We do. And speaking of a new friend, uh, thank you to our... Um, new follower genocide who left us a great review on apple podcasts uh thank you for listening and we're so glad that you're enjoying um uh being scared
0: absolutely (laughs) um to everybody out there keep finding those rabbit holes see you later Research for this episode was conducted by Dr. Krista Marie DeBanke and Dr. Drew Atana. More information about today's topic, or any topic, can be found on our website, drscarelove.com.